Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And uh, we'll continue with our hymn of the month. Uh, I know my faith is founded. My faith is founded on Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, and this my faith confessing, unmoved I stand on his sure word, for reason cannot fathom the truth of God profound. Who trust in human wisdom relies on shifting ground. God's word is all sufficient, it makes divinely sure. And trusting in its wisdom, my faith shall rest secure. Increase my faith, dear Savior, for Satan seeks by night and day to rob me of this treasure and take my hope of bliss away. But, Lord, with you beside me, I shall be undismayed. And led by your good spirit, I shall be unafraid. Abide with me, O Savior, a firmer faith bestow. Then I shall bid defiance to every evil foe. Lord, let me serve you, though persecution, grief, and pain should seek to overwhelm me. Let me a steadfast trust retain, and then at my departure, Lord, take me home to you. Your riches to inherit, as all you said was true. Lord, keep me until your heaven I came. Where I, by your great mercy, the hand of 
faith attain. Right, we'll continue with the uh, catechism memory work. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. But that person is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubt them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all hearts to believe. The Bible memory work and we'll just do it all together. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the Lord's body and blood. 1 Corinthians 11:27. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that an evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. Kids can go off to Sunday school. Is that what you're doing? All right. Uh, so on the hymn, last week we talked about some uh, techniques to help everyone feel more comfortable and confident in singing uh, and just some basic kind of singing advice. And uh, we talked about uh, deep breaths, breathing from the diaphragm, and uh, keeping things round and open. Uh Instead of clenched tight and, you know, kind of nasally or, uh, you know, breathing, not letting, not letting air through your throat. Um, and what was the other thing we talked about? I had three things. And I forgot the third thing last week, too, but then I remembered. Um, anyway, I, I was telling Rebecca what I said to make sure that I didn't lie to you um, afterwards. And she, she also reminded me on the breathing thing. When, whenever you breathe in, I had, you know, I had said when you breathe in to take a big breath to sing. Oh, high notes. That's what we talked about. The, that was the third thing. Yeah, yeah. Soaring over high notes. Uh, most people tend to go uh, flat on high notes because they don't give it enough enough breath. Um, so that was the other thing. Anyhow, um, on the on the breathing thing, I said, you know, make your make yourself kind of fat whenever you breathe uh, to take. You know, most most people when they say uh, if you say take a deep breath for some reason. They actually constrict their lungs and they suck in their stomach. But really, you want to expand your lungs to get the deepest breath down in your lungs, right? So um, you can really, uh, if your stomach should be going out. The other thing was uh, that Rebecca reminded me of with the breathing thing is something else people will do when they take a deep breath is they'll they'll bring their shoulders up, which actually again constricts everything. So you want to stay relaxed 
when you take a breath, right? So keep, keep the shoulders down and um, big breath in. So that's all I have. Uh, I, next time Eric teaches Sunday school, I'll have Rebecca maybe say some more things. But um, anyhow, my, my goal in talking about hymnody so much and having this section in Bible study is to get everyone excited about singing and confident um, and singing. That's part of the hymn of the month and all of that. So a singing congregation is, a, in, in my opinion, a, a healthy congregation. Those things go together. So um, the Bible commands us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and uh, we, should, we should do so. So anyhow, that's all I have for the hymn today. In, in the catechism, um, did, but did anyone try any of those things on Sunday when we sang? Did anyone kind of think about that more? Well, it's all, it's all good. That's what Gary Keeney tried to teach the choir. Yeah. None of us are professional singers. Yeah. It's to how to breathe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to be any kind of professional to learn um, how, to, uh, how to breathe well. So. And it, it actually is um, it's helpful in other areas of life, too, to, to kind of be able to control your breath. We In marching band, um, back when I was in high school, we did a lot of breathing exercises. And that that was actually, like, that became helpful for me in, like, athletic endeavors and in, um, like, kind of daily life. If you can, if you can breathe well, uh, your life is more comfortable, right? So, uh, to be able, being able, like, if you get like anxious or whatever, you can take big breaths and. Um, and if you're beginning, if you start to lift something. Yeah, if you need to lift something and, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so, like breathing through your nose is better than breathing through your mouth. That's another thing. Um, yeah. Or when you're reading some passages that Paul wrote, all these words that you got a breath. Yeah, Paul. Paul's a big fan of run-on sentences, so that's uh, that's true. There you go. All right. Um, so the catechism memory work then. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Um, I I like that his first sentence here because he he's obviously talking about the the late medieval Roman Catholic Church and the monks when he says fast, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. So back in the late medieval Roman Catholic Church with the monks, they thought that to, re- to take the sacrament, they needed to, um, to fast beforehand and, and uh, to bodily prepare themselves, which for the monks even included things like uh, uh, self was that flagellation, right? Or um, when they'd like beat themselves to try and you know get the sin out of them or whatever, um, and and those kinds of things. And it's interesting to me, you know, Luther goes after the monks like pretty intensely at times, where he'll he'll say things like you know that this is of the devil, you know, he'll get really mad at some of the things the monks do. Here he doesn't actually say that uh, what they're doing is bad. I don't, I don't think this is kind of a joke, right? Sometimes people will take this 
this passage um, and they'll say, well, what Luther is saying here is that the person who's truly worthy and well-prepared, it, it, it all comes down to faith. And so the fasting and bodily preparation don't matter at all. That's what Luther uh, is saying. That's kind of one interpretation of this. But I think what Luther is saying is that actually fa- fasting and, and bodily preparation, um, it is good outward training, but that's not the thing that's really going to prepare you for the sacrament. I think it, basically he's being very serious here when he says these things. And uh, my point in that is that we are in a different place in history than Luther. So we're, we don't have the same problems that Luther had. Like Luther had these problems of the late medieval Roman Catholic Church where there were a lot of monks that thought that they had to do these um, good works of fasting to get into heaven. And he obviously says that's, that's not true, right? That's outward training, but it's not, it's not the main thing. And we are in a place in time where basically no one fasts, right? Um, I mean, you might have some Roman Catholic monasteries still existing in certain places, but overall, the American culture is not one of a fasting culture, right? Um, it, it's very different than late medieval Germany. So whenever I read this, um, one thing I, I like to point out to people is that actually preparing for uh, the sac- to, take, to take part of the sacrament um, and in general in the Christian life, uh, there is such a, good, a thing as fasting and bodily preparation. Um, fasting is something I've talked about before. I know I've, I've written um, newsletter articles on it and things, especially during Lent. But uh, fasting is assumed by Jesus in the Christian life, right? He's, in the same way that he says, you know, whenever you pray, because if you're a Christian, you're going to pray, right? Whenever you pray, pray like this. He also says, whenever you fast, fast like this. And uh, there is, Jesus simply assumes that this is a um, part of the Christian life, that there will be times when you purposely eat less food or go without food. Um, and I, I, again, I also think, um, this is kind of a side note, but I do think that's what fasting in the Bible is talking about is food. I, that this is another kind of modern thing that we'll do where people will say, I'm fasting from Facebook for Lent. Well, that's not. That's fine, right? But that's not that's not really fasting, right? Fasting is literally taking the thing that your body needs for energy, right? Food, and and saying man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I'm going to uh, lessen my my food intake and focus on on hearing the scriptures during this time. And um, that the, the reason for fasting, well, yeah, let, let me just go there. So, so I think fasting is actually about food. Um, and especially, so there's always been a connection of fasting in preparation for the sacrament. So um, the way I do this is that on Sunday mornings, I don't eat until after church, right? I wait until, um, until, until I've had the sacrament and then... Uh, do this. So after I'm done eating on Saturday night, then it's not until after church. Uh, and that that's pretty traditional. 
Um, there are other ways that people will... So uh, in the early church, there was always a Saturday night Vespers to kind of prepare for, the, for Sunday morning church. And people would stop eating before, right before Saturday night Vespers. And then after that Vespers service, they would not eat until the sacrament. So this has always kind of been a way that Christians have done this. Um, here we have, we have the Bible study before the service. So sometimes we have donuts here, which is fine. Um, that, that, it is what it is. But um, that, those, those things have always been connected. But the, the point of fasting... And this is, this is my last thing on fasting. The point of fasting is to train yourself to say no to temptation, right? Because food is one of these fundamental passions that all humans have. All of us crave food, right? All of us, if we don't get enough sleep um, and it gets to be late at night uh, and we want to stay up, what's the first thing we think to do? Go find some sugar, right? Um, our, our body, we have these natural passions uh, that are built into creation. And I've talked about this some before. Virtue is always being able to control your passions. Well, there are other passions and temptations that we're going to face, right? So people might face uh, sexual temptation. People might face um, temptations of pride or uh, other such things uh, from these these passions that human have humans have and fasting what it does is whenever you're able to say no to the bowl of cereal at 10 p.m whenever you're able to say no to uh you know having the extra glass of wine at, at dinner whenever you're able to say no to these small things that trains you to be able to say no to bigger things right that's kind of the point of fasting um and then, and then to depend on receiving nourishment from the Lord, which is how it gets connected to the sacrament. So anyhow, that's what I wanted to say about the catechism memory work is that the fasting and bodily preparation being fine outward training, I don't think Luther's joking there. I think that's actually a serious statement from him that we should do this. Now, his point is if you don't do that, you can still take the sacrament, right? If you don't, if you don't fast, um, that doesn't make you lacking faith, right? Um, it's simply a good thing to do, right? Um, it's kind of like if you can think of it like exercise. Exercise is a good thing to do. Everyone, everyone kind of knows that. Um, and this is spiritual exercise, fasting. Uh, it's a spiritual discipline. If someone doesn't exercise regularly, that doesn't make them like a horrible person who is just going to keel over dead right on the spot, right? But it would be better if they did, right? So it's just, it's, it's not that it makes you a bad person. It's just that it is a good thing to do, uh, simply, right? So, all right. Uh, that's what I have on the catechism memory work today. Uh, let's jump over now back to Elisha, and we'll see how far we can finish up Elisha today. Um, it shouldn't take that long. Uh, we're in 2 Kings chapter 2, and then if we finish Elisha, then we're going to go to the book of Jonah.
and give an overview of the book of Jonah, which is one of my favorite books. Um, it's Jonah is the Old Testament mission book, so I, lo- I love it um, because I love the Old Testament and I love missions, so it's a great book. All right, um, last week we went over Elijah's being taken into heaven by the chariots of fire and how Elisha was devoted to him and faithful to him and, and um, how he asked to receive the double spirit, right? That was, the, that was one of the big things we talked about, that Elisha asked to receive the double portion from Elijah, which meant what he was asking was to be treated as Elijah's firstborn son. Uh, because the firstborn son got the double portion, the double, the inheritance. Um, that's why he calls him my father, my, my father, my father. And really what that means is that he's going to take over the family business, right? He's going to take over Elijah's status as the prophet of Israel. And uh, that's, that's eventually exactly what happens. So there's, a, there's one story that we're kind of skipping over about Elisha because we covered it when we went through the kings and that was the story that's the story of Elisha and Naaman and Naaman's healing of leprosy do you remember that story where uh, Elisha tells Naaman to wash in the Jordan seven times okay so uh, that's we're kind of, we're gonna we've already done that um, you can go back and find the archived podcast somewhere and and listen to it again if you want but uh, Elisha does end up taking over this the, this role as the prophet of Israel. Um, okay, but what we want to look at is verses 16 to 23 in 2 Kings chapter 2, which is when um, Elisha, uh, Elijah's been taken up into heaven, and uh, he then, actually, we're starting more at verse uh, verse 13. So, um, yeah, Elijah's been taken up into heaven, and now what? What's Elisha going to do? And there's this, um, the rest of the, ch- the chapter here, there's a couple interesting things that happen. So uh, the, first, the first thing that happens is uh, he picks up, this is verse 13, he picks up Elijah's cloak um, and he goes da- back down to the Jordan. And now remember when Elijah and Elisha crossed over the Jordan, Elijah struck his, the water with his cloak. Um, and we talked about how that was kind of a passing back through the baptismal waters to go, go up into heaven. Um, now Eli- Elisha takes Elijah's cloak and he strikes the water and he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Israel? Yes, where is he? And as soon as he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left so that Elisha could cross. So this happens again. Now El- Elisha has kind of traveled to uh, uh, if you will, Elijah and Elisha kind of went through the waters back so that Elijah could ta- be taken up into heaven. And now, but it, it wasn't Elisha's time yet, right? And so Elisha is going to continue to, if you would, live through these waters. He's going to go back through the waters um, to go back to the all the other prophets and uh, to take up this mantle of Elijah and uh, continue the task to be done. So, and then the fact, the, the other symbolism here is that Elisha now has the cloak, right? He has the cloak and he can do what Elijah did. And he's going to go and speak to the prophets the way Elijah spoke to the prophets. 
So th- both these things are a sign, um, if you will, that the double portion was given, that he has taken up the, the cloak. He has taken up the mantle of Elijah. And at, remember what the, what the sign was, was by God was going to be that, that Elisha was given the double portion is that he was able to see Elijah taken up into heaven, right? Uh, Elijah says to him, if you see me taken up into heaven, then it will be yours. If you do not, then it will be withheld from you. Um, well, he was able to see. And so now uh, he takes the cloak and he takes up um, this. And when the prophets saw, saw this, so this is verse 15, when the prophets see this, um, they say, Elijah's spirit is resting on Elisha. Elijah's spirit is resting on Elisha. Um, and I just thought of this right now as I read that. This is pretty interesting language because, uh, especially when you think about baptism, because what happens in Jesus' baptism? There's a spirit that rests on Jesus, right? That's the same language. Um, so a lot of this language is very uh, reminiscent of Jesus' baptism, that uh, a, the spirit comes down and rests on Jesus, uh, that, that's very interesting. I just thought of that. So um, I'll have to think more about what the application of that is. But All right. Um, so there's work to do. He crosses back over the Jordan. Uh, the other prophets uh, bow before him. And uh, there's 50 strong men, uh, 50 prophets. And... Um, let's see here. Yeah, well, I we're gonna kind of skip over that part. So there's a uh, um, they the the prophets want to go back and look uh, for Elijah, and he says he they they argue about this, um, and this is kind of. This is kind of the nature of, I think, pe- uh, people in the church oftentimes. Um, so, so the prophets want to go look for Elijah, and, and Elijah says, no, like, we're, we're moving on, right? Uh, and the, the prophets trust him, uh, but, but he says, he says, no, we're not. We're done with Elijah's been taken up into heaven, right? We're going to go continue to preach the gospel and move on. Um, but uh, he, they, they go ahead and go search for him, him anyway, and they don't find him. And Elisha, they return back to Elisha, and Elisha says, "Didn't I say to you, don't go? Right? That that time is over." Um, I think, I think, I didn't really prepare this section, but I, I do, I do think that this often happens in the church where people will get focused on a certain way of doing things and you know certain people will have like a certain pastor that they that they really trust right that's like their pastor and uh when the time comes for things to change people are very nervous about that because they don't know what it's going to look like and uh this is always I think, especially the case with missions, that doing missions like uh, in an intentional way 
um, the way that Elisha has to do them in Israel because it's a very pagan place at this point um, involves naturally doing things that are uncomfortable, right? Going forth and and uh, preaching things that are uncomfortable. So uh, that that's not it's a, it's kind of not surprising to me that uh, the the rest of the prophets are like, no, we we need to do like this was cool that we saw this happen, but we need what. We need to get back to Elijah, right? So, um, anyhow, the, but but eventually they they do catch on, right? They and they bow before Elisha. And um, anyway, this is so. What I wanted to talk about is what happens next. And uh, if you skip down to uh, verse twenty-three. So after all this happens, he goes up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the road, young boys came out from the city and mocked him. And what, what, are, your, what are your guys' translations say? About what the... Yeah, bald head. What, is that what they say, bald head? So I like, I like my translation here. It says baldy. They just call him baldy. Which is probably... That, that's probably more accurate. I mean, so the word in Hebrew just means like, yeah, bald-headed, but... If if you were gonna mock, mock someone for being bald today, it's probably baldy is probably what you'd say, something like that. So go up baldy, go up baldy, that they shout. Um, and this is actually a, a very harsh insult. I mean, to us it doesn't seem that harsh, but um, this is he he's coming down. Um, he's going into so remember Bethel, the house of God. And uh, he's coming to preach the word of the Lord, and th- this is a very serious thing. And and these these boys come out and they they basically mock him and say, um, implicit in this is that you know you're not you're not anything, right? Um, who are who are you to tell us what to do or think or wh- or whatever? Um, this is this is a very uh, kind of a pagan thing, right? If uh, it it would be like, if someone stood up during when in the middle of like a very serious sermon that I was preaching and started making fun of me for being short, right? Um, like, yeah, like I am short and that's funny, but that's not the time, right? It's not the right right place. And um, I I always think I think of Psalm one. Right, blessed is the man who sits not in the seat of scoffers. Right, this is a this is a scoffing that's taking place, um, a scoffing of God's ordained servant. So anyway, uh, I have to kind of preface that that this isn't just some old joke, because what happens next seems very extreme uh, to our modern ears. So he turned around and looked at them, looked at them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears two she-bears, two mama bears, came out of the woods and they tore 42 boys into pieces. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. Okay, so obviously, uh, Elisha curses them, which is right. Um, Cursing, so cursing is one of these things in the Bible where... It's not a sin inherently, 
right? Same thing with uh, jealousy, right? So God is a jealous God. Jealousy is not a sin, right? God can't sin. How can God be a jealous God? We think of jealousy sometimes as sinful. Uh, it depends on what you're jealous for, right? If you're jealous for uh, the faith of your family, that's not a bad thing, right? If you're jealous uh, for uh, receiving God's gifts, that's not a bad thing, right? If you're jealous after your neighbor's boat, <laughs> right, that's a bad thing. So it depends on what you're jealous for. Same thing with cursing. If you curse the devil, that's a correct curse. That's a good curse, right? If you curse Jesus, that's a bad curse, right? So it depends on what you're cursing. Well, he curses the lack of faith in these, in these boys, right? And uh, then this, isn't, this obviously isn't up to Elisha, right? Elisha didn't just call the bears out. Um, the bears come because God sent them. So God sends these bears uh, who tear up these boys, who, who slaughter these boys, who are mocking, who are mocking Elisha. And um, a couple, so a couple things here. The first thing I thought of is this is why the age of accountability uh, that the Baptists teach is, is baloney, right? Obviously, children can be sinful. And we don't know what the age of these boys were. Maybe they were teenagers. Maybe they were, um, maybe they were younger than that. Uh, but ch- children are sinful, right? You don't, you don't have to teach a kid. I mean, if, if, kill, if kids were not sinful, uh, then they would not ever cry, right? <laughs> they would try, they, like Andrew keeps crying for food every time he's hungry, even though he's always been fed every single time he's been hungry, right? If he was not sinful, he would simply have faith. He would believe that his mother was going to feed him, right? He cries whenever his diaper gets wet uh, because he doesn't have faith. He's weak in faith. Uh, Children are sinful. They're born that way, right? And sin did my mother conceive me, Psalm 51. And this is why we baptize kids, is because kids need the spirit. They they need to receive the forgiveness of sins even when they're born. Um, and so the fact that these are children should really not surprise us, right? It shouldn't throw us off that kids could do something utterly sinful, uh, deserving of death, because all, all sin is deserving of, of death and punishment. Um, so, so that's the first thing, is we, in some ways, we kind of have to get out of our mind that children are, like, cute and innocent. Um, they are cute, and they, they are innocent in a sense, Right, they're innocent in that they don't know the depths of what sin can do in the world, and we should keep their eyes from that. But we should not uh, turn that innocence into that they themselves are innocent of sin, right, and undeserving of punishment. Right, this is also why children need to be disciplined. Right, children who are not disciplined um, will inevitably neglect the Lord, right? Because, uh, I mean, this is all over the Proverbs, that if you don't train a child, then then he will not know where to go, right? Because if you don't train a child, then his sin will naturally train him. So uh, we kind of have to get out of our mind like the the way that we tend to think about children in that sense. Um, The other thing that when we talk... So the kind of elephant in the room here, or we could say the bear in the room, I guess, 
is that this still seems very extreme to us, that for simply mocking, for something like mocking uh, uh, a prophet, um, God would send bears to slaughter young, young people. Um, since we don't know their age, we'll just say young people, children, boys. And my question is, what's going to happen on the last day to unbelieving children? Right? That this is why we need the gospel. <laughs> uh, I think our society does not take God's wrath seriously. Even Christians in our society, we don't think about God's wrath enough. We don't think of what that really means. That anyone who rejects the love of Jesus Christ will suffer eternal hellfire. And that includes children. And again, that's why we baptize kids. That's why that I, and um, this is also and this, this opens a can of worms. And it's something that I've gone back and forth on in my mind uh, quite a bit is potentially one of the worst things about abortion is that not every aborted child is saved. Um, I, I mean, I don't know that, right? Like, we, we're not in the mind of God. God's the judge. We're, we're not. But, um, and I, I mean, especially, so I would say, I would say confidently that children of what I would call covenant families, uh, families who are, who are faithful, right? Uh, children of, so say, so say there's a mom who gets tricked, let's say, into having an abortion, but she's a faithful Christian, um, and the child in her womb, um, say she, you know, she'd gone to church, they'd, they'd heard the word of God, um, she, she had confident faith in the Lord. Uh, that child, I, I, I would venture, goes to heaven, right? I depend on God's grace and mercy. And, uh, you know, children... You, the, another situation is miscarriages, right, which are related to this. Children that don't get to be baptized uh, before they go to heaven. Um, you know, we know that children can hear in the womb, and God's word is efficacious. So uh, children who are, you know, when pregnant women go to, to the church and they hear the word of God and the word of God is read in the home, um, I, I would say that, I'd, I'd lean on God's grace and mercy and say, yeah, God, I, I think that God will save those children. Um, I mean, it's pretty, and there's some biblical narratives that back that up, right? When David's uh, first son by Bathsheba uh, dies um, very early on in life, he says, I will go to him and I will see him one day, right? So, um, and then another instance is in, in Matthew gospel in uh, chapter 2 when the slaughter of the holy innocents takes place um, they are portrayed as martyrs right those children are faithful faithful children so um, so it's not that God can't save children but my point here is that uh, if there are you know wicked people and, and unbelieving families and uh, they have their children aborted, um, those children, those abort, those those murdered children, uh, I don't know if they have faith, right? And it's I can't say confidently from the Bible that that they are saved no matter what. And I think a, a lot of pro-life Christians 
um, are very tempted to be to to say, oh, well, of course, God just saves all those children. And I don't really see a biblical warrant for that. So this is I mean, and this is this is actually what makes if that's true. And again, I'm not the judge, so I I can't say finally one way or the other. But potentially this is what makes abortion so bad is that some of some aborted children might not be saved. And what would be better is if they weren't murdered so that they could have the chance to hear the gospel. Right. So um, anyhow, and then and then we would know. Right. Uh, that's what I have to say about that. Yes, yeah, Steve. Would uh, Jacob in the womb, you know, biblical Jacob, yeah. in the womb being a heel grabber, uh, be sinning? You know? Right. Uh, that, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, you can at least see there that they're not Jacob and Esau are not living in peace with one another right so there is obviously original sin in in the womb uh, of of Rebecca and so that that's an interesting interesting question uh, like as far as if he's saved or not again I mean uh, is that Romans 10 uh, we are not the judges, right? So I never will say absolutely was this person saved, absolutely was this person not saved because I don't, uh, at, at, at the, in the ultimate sense, I do not know what is in someone's heart, right? In the church, we always go based on confession. So when I do a funeral, what was this person's confession of faith, right? And then we'll do whatever kind of funeral based on that. In this case of things that we don't know, we kind of have to say we don't know. And what, I've, what I also find is that that is actually more comforting to people. Um, and that's counterintuitive. I think a lot of Christians want to just try and give the benefit of the doubt, right? Uh, there's this phrase that I kind of hate that Christians will say that we need to err on the side of grace, well, let's let's just try not to err. Okay, let's let's try not to be an error. Let's. Um, I, I mean, I get like we want to be nice, uh, but when we don't know the state of someone's faith, it's better to just say, "Look, we don't know." And then, what is that? What is that for the Christians here, remaining? That's a call to repentance, and a call to firmer faith in Jesus, and it actually builds faith and trust in Christ, right? That, that he's in charge and we're not. Um, because trying to put the, judge, the judgment of faith on someone is a very uh, difficult task, right? That, that's not, it's not actually a job we should want, right? We don't I don't really want to be the ultimate judge of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I want to leave that up to God. So um, I'd rather be the guy that says, look, I actually don't know, but uh, here's what I do know, that Jesus has called you to faith, and he has shed his blood on the cross for your sins, and that no matter what the fate of this or that person is, 
or this or that child is, you are going to live in eternal bliss one day. And you will be ultimately conformed to God's righteous judgments. And that will be good. So uh, that's, that is what it is. So anyway, when the bears, when, when we read these things in the Bible about the bears, about bears slaughtering boys and um, about God's wrath being carried out, we shouldn't kind of hide at that and be like, oh, you know, I could have skipped over this story. I could have been like, oh, no, let's, let's not read that one today, right? But um, that's not what God's counsel is. God's counsel is that God has wrath and he will carry it out and uh, God will not be mocked. So uh, we, that's for us a call to repentance, right? All right. Well, let's, uh, it's about time. So um, we'll, do jo- we'll do Jonah next week. Any questions, comments, concerns? All right. Let's end in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And we pray that you would give to all faith in their heart to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, for eternal salvation. We pray that you would keep us honest and faithful to you. We pray that you would call us to repentance as you see fit. And we pray that you would always keep the cross and your grace and mercy before our eyes, that we may ever believe on your son and have that gift which surpasses all others. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.